1: Welcome to The Violin Podcast, a podcast that helps you become a better violinist. I'm your host, Eric mogala Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. Happy New Year, most of all. It's been a crazy 2021, but I'm excited for 2022 and for what I'm going to be doing with the podcast and... I'm grateful that you're listening to the very first episode of 2022. If you haven't done so already, if you're new to us, please make sure to hit the subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choice and make sure that you hit the notification bell so that way you get notified for when new Violent Podcast episodes come out. This podcast is all about helping you become better violinist and that means getting you access to sheet music deals and getting you access to violin accessories and violin string deals well you've come to the right place because i have all those links in the description of the podcast episode below and on every single podcast episode you'll find those links of some of the recommended tools that i use personally to help me in terms of sheet music that i need to purchase strings that i need to get and um, other violin essentials that I need to get. So I encourage you to take a look at some of the following links below. Every year, I strive to become a better violinist, not just as a player, but also as a solo entrepreneur, as a business person, because musicians who work professionally are also business people. And it's my pleasure to have Jared Judge from Book Live. Today on the violin podcast and he discusses his journey on how he became a private event musician and how you can also increase your revenue as a musician in 2022 so here we go we're going to dive right into the episode and i can't wait for you to listen to it because it's been it was a great conversation having jared on and uh, here we go let's go right into the episode Ladies and gentlemen, I have Jared Judd from BookLive.com with me on the Violin Podcast, and I'm Jared. I'm so glad to have you in the beginning of 2022 to be talking about gigs because you specialize in helping musicians get gigs. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your, you know, your your podcast, BookLive.com, and so that way you could help our our audience today.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Eric, for having me. It was such a pleasure having you on our podcast, too. So if your listeners haven't checked that out, come over to the Gigging Musician podcast. Uh, The beginning of the year is like the perfect time to start thinking about this kind of stuff because it's a blank slate. And if you don't take new actions at the beginning of the year, then this year might look very similar to last year. So I I think like getting on the right track from the get-go, even if you're just learning new repertoire or learning the business side of things, those are great things to, to just set the year up for success. Um, so I'm the host of the Gigging Musician podcast. On that podcast, I started that also during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I started that as a way to kind of share my learnings as I navigated the business side of music. I'm a violinist too, well, violinist and viola. so I don't know if you consider me a pure violinist. <laughs> Well, um, well, it's okay. We'll forgive you for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to share my learnings because I am a, an event musician, an event music coordinator, um, and I do play mostly weddings. Um, but just to kind of give you the backstory is I went to music school twice, once for my undergrad in music education. I taught public school music for three years, which was really fun. I didn't quite have the patience to stick with it longer. <laughs> um, and then I went back for my master's in orchestra conducting. Um, I, like many musicians on, uh, in your podcast listeners, and also across the world, we want that, what's the bullseye that we're aiming for? And for me, I wanted to be a symphony conductor, or I would have also accepted um, ballet or opera conductor. And then also uh, I got into military music so i was also interested in being a military band conductor so towards the end of my grad school i was taking all these auditions flying across the country paying thousands of dollars that i didn't have because i had already took out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans for for music school and taking auditions and they were incredible auditions you know many many instrumentalists their audition experience tends to be you're playing solo in front of a panel uh, oftentimes you don't even get to see the panel, it's behind a screen or something. But for conductors, your audition is you and with the ensemble. Um, unless you're doing a grad school audition, then they only give you a piano. But for the military bands that I was conducting, um, you got to stand in front of between 80 and 100 military musicians. and There were 10 different like officers in behind the group that were also musicians. Evaluating your conducting technique and your ability to rehearse the group. And it, to me, that was like the most thrilling musical experience I'd ever had because these were some of the best musicians in our country. And so I conducted them. We did some Wagner, Elsa's Procession to the Cathedral. Legendary.
1: And,
0: yeah, legendary. We also did some um, Bernstein. It was Profanation from Jeremiah Symphony. Incredibly difficult piece of music to perform and also to conduct and keep keep a group together on. But I I held my own and it was like my heart was pounding a mile a minute after that audition uh, just because it was so much fun. Um, And I don't know many people who say auditions are fun, but that was really fun. So we after the audition, the commander of the band pulls me into his office, which he didn't really do for the other candidates, and he asked me to shut the door. So my heart starts pounding thinking like I'm about to get my career job. I'm so excited. Um, he says that was a great audition. I could see you're, you're a talented musician, but I cannot offer you the job at this point. You simply don't have enough experience. Come back again in a year and try again, which my hopes were so high and then they just crumbled beneath me. So the thing about the, what he said was, like, come back again in a year. I was graduating in three months. And so I didn't really have a year because I didn't want to have to, like, take on a non-musical job or go back to teaching. I mentioned before, I didn't have the patience to be a teacher full time. So I was, like, really disheartened by that and starting to see, like, maybe my dream of being this professional musician isn't possible which was really hard for me to think about because I had just invested seven years of, uh, yeah, it was seven years because I did five years for my undergrad. So five years undergrad, two years for my master's, seven years of higher education for this kind of job, and it wasn't going to happen for me. So I get back to my school my, uh, where I was taking my master's program, mentioned to my professors like, hey, the audition was good, but he said, no, what do I do? And they said, "Well, just take his advice. Wait a year." It's like I can't do that because I don't want to. I don't want to teach. Um, so that was the point where I said, "Like, is there another way I can pay my bills while uh, while making music, so that I don't have to become a public school teacher or, you know, get a job in food service? Which I I was actually a bar trivia host a little bit just to make ends meet, and." I it was okay, but I was a little tired of like walking on sticky floors and eating chicken wings at night. <laughs> so they said we don't really have another option for you, but if you want to get some career advice, maybe like ask the business school. And I was lucky that my college had a business school within walking distance, and I don't know. I've always been one to put myself in uncomfortable positions and so I walked over into this business school with my viola case and I went to the front desk and I was like hey I'm this nerdy classical musician and they told me to come here for career advice
1: what can you do for me <laughs> wow <laughs> that, that's like straightforward and blunt but I love it because you're putting yourself out there yeah it, it
0: was I was a little nervous about it but I don't know being a I don't know Being a teacher, you know, you figure out how to how to work your way into things. Um, So luckily, they didn't turn me away, which that was my big fear was they're going to turn me away. So they go back to music school. You don't know. Don't know what you're doing here. But they said, like, we have this amazing program that's starting this week. It's called the Student Startup Challenge. And what we do is we help students start their own businesses. Um, Is that of interest to you? I was like, well, I don't really want to start a business, but like, you know, you mentioned on my podcast, the Jay-Z quote, you know, um, I'm not a businessman, but I, I am a business man. Right. <laughs> so I, I was like, sure, why not? Let's try it. I joined this program. They helped me start a business. Um, we didn't do like LLC formation or anything like that because they said, before you take care of any of that, like admin stuff, we got to figure out what you're selling. And I was like, well, I want to play music. They said, great, you're going to sell live music services. And I was like, okay. I just kind of went along with it. I didn't really know what they were getting me into. And they said, well, let's think about opportunities for you to sell live music services. How do you, how can we get you playing more and getting paid well for it? And so they said, well, what would you typically do? I told them about the audition circuit they were like that that really happens because they were just kind of shocked that so many musicians were trying out for one spot and you know one person out of 200 applying or more was going to make it they said that is not a sustainable
1: business model i love how you say that but we'll we'll tackle that topic in in a moment (laughs) okay um so what what they did
0: instead push me towards they said we need to find you opportunities that have enough volume meaning they occur enough times during the year and that also have a high dollar value so high volume and high value and where those two intersect is where we build your foundation of your music business and then all those other opportunities can kind of fit in around them. But you need money first. So let's get you that first. So then we, we looked at the gigging landscape. And they asked, like, what, what else are you doing right now? And I said, I'm playing for a regional symphony, the Sheboygan Symphony. And they said, well, how many times a year does that, do they have a concert? And it's like about six times a year. Uh, they said, that's not very high volume. And then they asked me, well, how much does it pay? And I told them. There's like, that's kind of low. So that's not high volume. That's not high value. And then they did, they helped me do some research. That's when we discovered private events, such as weddings or corporate events. And we actually found this research article. um, There's a cool resource called The Wedding Report that showed how many weddings are happening in every city across the United States in each year. And we found out in Milwaukee, there are about two thousand or so weddings happening every year which meant that's high volume if you could just even get one percent of that or or, you know whatever you want to do that's that's enough for you to make a living off of plus the average musician or group earned this report showed us the average ceremony musician earns roughly six hundred dollars on average uh, which that's average meaning you can go higher so they said let's start there and they helped me launch my wedding group, Dream City Strings. And before I even graduated, we were on track to booking a hundred weddings for the following year, which was crazy. Like, Oh, wow, congratulations on that. That's a, that's really great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so basically like I'm going to long story short, the things that they taught me in this, this student startup challenge was systematically how to market myself because nobody knew about me. I was just some random orchestra nerd and marketing solved the problem that nobody knows about me. But then once somebody knows about you, how do you sell them on your live music services? So what do you need to say to them to build up the value of what you're doing and inspire them to take the action of booking you? And so they taught me how to do that. And that's how I booked the first gig and then all the gigs since then. And I'm still doing that, even though I started that, what was that, five years ago now.
1: That's, I mean, people, if you're listening to this, if you're, uh, if you really want to change the trajectory of your 2022, uh, 2022 financial picture in terms of music, I think you should really be listening to what Jared has to say, because that's something that I would love to talk about a little bit, how, you, how the person you were speaking with, how we have auditions. And that's not a sustainable business model. That's actually, in fact, that's a, something that we've talked about on my, re- on my recent Violent Podcast episode with Giro Schmidt, how the business model in Europe compared to the business model of the orchestra auditions in the United States are completely different and they all have their own sorts of issues.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you say 2,000 weddings in one year, right? Now, yeah. that is you know you can make a living on that i actually know musicians who play maybe close to 200, 200 weddings in one summer right and um and of course that number has kind of changed in, you know a couple of years ago but i would say um i don't know i don't know about you but i've definitely played like maybe close to 30 Weddings the last summer, I think that sounds about right. And that's actually, that's just the beginning of like an increase of wedding gigs that are like slowly being booked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mentioned this on my podcast a little bit, but private events were one of the first things to come back after everything shut down. Um, I don't get into politics on my podcast and I won't get into them here, but because of the nature of private events... The restrictions are less, which means people are having them sooner than, say, your your orchestra concerts are coming back.
1: True. Yes. Yeah, I would I would say the same. Yeah, I think because with you know with an orchestra you're dealing with, and most most orchestras are dealing with nonprofit organization status, and a lot of these times they have a lot of bigger um, have a lot of bigger image. So you know, one tiny little detail that you you have a mishap, and then that could ruin the entire image of the organization. So I think that's what that's a problem that I'm seeing right now, especially in Europe, with um, you know, with the COVID nineteen surge again, um, about the arts being the the first to go and the last to come back.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, do you find that in in your area to be the case? Like, do you find that like your That the orchestras are kind of back in full swing or they're also taking precautions what is that like
0: they are taking precautions um just two weeks ago i saw the milwaukee symphony do um they were doing the return of the jedi star wars with live orchestra which was amazing um in order to get in you did have to show your vaccine card and masks were encouraged but they they weren't required so there are restrictions still in place for nonprofit organizations to host arts.
1: I see. So what are some valuable tips that you can give our audience today, like the conservatory student or the working professional who is looking to increase their income this upcoming year? So that way we don't have to be, live by the notion of a starving artist. Because yeah, I, I feel sure. like you can, because of, the, because of the amazing thing we call the internet, we can mm-hmm. really utilize this tool to help us increase our income, increase our impact on on the music world. And to be honest, I also feel you know really good after I feel a pri- after I play a private event. Actually, more so sometimes in, in an orchestra concert for the for this whole fact that when I'm playing a private event, and maybe you can comment on this too, where I'm playing a private event, the people actually come up to me and say thank you. Like, in person, and they shake my hand. And I find that to be really nice, too. So, I was wondering if you can comment on that as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, private events are so personal. Meaning, your music has the opportunity to impact somebody's life on a way more personal level than, you know, several hundred or thousand people in an audience. For me, when I play a wedding, and I see the the bride walking down the aisle with her, her father and tears streaming down the eyes while I'm playing... Sometimes Canon and yes. But when I see those tears and I know that I contributed to those tears and then I get, you know, they come up after the event and say, like, that was beautiful. That was exactly how I envisioned my wedding. For me, that is such a gratifying feeling. That is like, you know, you play so many notes as an orchestral violinist, but I know that my notes had a much greater impact on this person's life than when I'm playing, I don't know. When I'm
1: playing Schrodik in in the practice room, yeah, and of course, I think we're we're overgeneralizing right now, right? Yeah. Because I think you know, you know, people do feel impacted by the music that we are playing on stage, but I feel like there is this more personal connection, you know, with the person with a private event. I, at least I can see, I can speak for myself, and I'm sure you can feel the same too. So, yeah. you know, you you have this Gigging Secrets workbook, and I was wondering if you can talk a bit about that.
0: Yeah, so um, I have the Gigging Secrets book, and there is a Gigging Secrets companion workbook for it. Basically, the Gigging Secrets book is my step-by-step framework of how I built Dream City Strings from scratch. Um, it includes, like, a lot of what the business school taught me, but then I had to learn how to apply that to my music. So it's a lot of the business lessons that I I figured out and learned that don't just apply to private events. It's more generalized knowledge that could help you uh, gain more students or even start like a, an online store for your merch if you wanted to. But these are marketing principles. So the whole thing about marketing is most musicians face the problem of obscurity meaning people don't know who they are marketing solves that problem and the book shows you how to market that how to find out who do you want to market to in the first place cuz like i know that you you teach students between ages 4 and 13 you don't necessarily want to take on a student who's you know in their their 60s or something so identifying who exactly is the right fit for you and then where can you find them and pull them into your world and get them to know you. Then there's the selling portion. So how do you sell your music? Uh, What are the words that you need to say and even put on your website? There's like a whole section there on how to structure your website and the words that you need to say to actually convince somebody that you're worth hiring for a gig, or you can apply that to worth hiring for you to teach me violin. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the basics of the book and the, the workbook just is a step-by-step answer these questions, fill in these blanks, and by the end, you'll have yourself a live music business. That's, that's the overall idea
1: of it. I think it's a great idea, to be honest, and I think we could use more of these kinds of books in classrooms. When I was in school, there was a lot of emphasis on being a good player. And I think there is like this, uh, there's an article by the New York Times a long time ago, which I'm, I I think you're familiar with about the Juilliard effect, how there's a bassoonist who, you know, went to Juilliard, got this amazing education, and then tried to survive on being a bassoonist. But, uh, and I, I can't remember if it was a bassoonist, so forgive me if I'm butchering the article, but I think um, this person just didn't have any other choice but to get other part-time jobs that are not in music. However, you you do mention that a lot of the other part time jobs that musicians take are high volume and high value kind of part-time jobs. And music unfortunately is not one of that yet. As I'm speaking just to classical music. And because music is definitely a necessity, but again a music is a product that you have to produce, that you have to play, you have to perform at a high level in order to return the the high volume and the high value and the high profit, uh, you know, coming back to you.
0: Yeah. And that speaks to a a bigger problem, which, you know, people do talk about the decline of classical music and symphony orchestras shutting down, um, even the Met Orchestra not paying their musicians for a while. And I think that is kind of the same exact problem that we're talking about with marketing, but just at an institutional level. Like, I feel like our society loves music. It's clear, like, music is necessary for our survival, actually. But the problem is these arts institutions have kind of lost touch with society in a way where they don't market to the people who are now, you know, paying their bills. Um, I feel like arts institutions in general could do a, a much better job of marketing classical music to the masses, which would then in turn create more jobs for people like you and me um, so that these opportunities can no longer be, you know, 200 musicians competing for one spot. Why not create more spots?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that we discussed in uh, one of the episodes with your Schmidt is, um, which for those of you, I think that's episode 35. And... You know classical music at its core it's popular in europe because of the fact that it is ingrained in their culture you know mm-hmm. not many people in the u.s can relate to beethoven you know but they can relate to country they can relate to r b they can even relate to american hip-hop because that is something that is produced out of this out of you know out of the u.s and you know i have i have no judgment with those other genres but that's not, that's just simply an observation um that we can maybe perhaps apply to american concert halls so i feel like it's this uh conversation between entertainment and actual high musicality which is something that i that i've talked about um in in the previous podcast episode so but yeah i feel like this is a huge huge topic i feel like i can do like an entire seminar with you on this you know jared how can people find you on the you know on your podcast and how can people get a hold of your book
0: yeah, for sure. So the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just search the Gigging Musician podcast. And if you see like the blue guitar, that's, that's our podcast. The book is available on giggingsecrets.com. Um, the book itself is free, but you do have to pay some shipping and handling. And if you're interested in getting the workbook, there's an option to add it to your cart in addition to the book. Um, we also have booklive.com which is a software tool. I didn't mention much of this, but like if you do all of the work that's in the gigging secrets book and you launch a live music business, it will become successful to the point where now you have the problem of too much admin work on your plate. Cause as you know, writing contracts, coordinating schedules, all this stuff takes up time and it's not really time spent on your instrument. So the whole goal of the booklive.com software is it takes all of that admin work off of your plate so that you can spend more time in the practice room or, I don't know, watching late night TV if you want.
1: Yeah. So yeah, for those of you who are listening, I, I mentioned that I like late night shows like Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, like on the Giggy Musicians podcast. So, but yeah, it'll, it'll give me more time to enjoy my my endless scrolling of YouTube of, you know, late night TV clips. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's, you can get a free two week trial at booklive.com. Excellent. Yeah. And I'm going to provide links in the the podcast notes. So that way you get a hold of, you know, Jared's mission and the books and everything. And uh, Jared, I want to thank you for coming on the violin podcast, sharing your wisdom, sharing your knowledge. I really, really appreciate it. And again, I, I won't hold it against you that you're a violist also. (laughs) but no i'm no i'm kidding i have a lot of great viola friends i know and also by the way if you want more gigs violinists learn viola because you might you might actually see an increase in revenue if you learn how to read alto clef that's all you got to (laughs) do that is exactly why i learned viola and that's proven to be true okay well see we have living proof right here so <laughs> ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming on uh this week's episode of the violent podcast we really appreciate your support and we'll see you in the next episode thank you so much jared thank you eric yes it's been a pleasure